0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. We provide a safe space for you to improve your leadership skills while building high-impact organizations through networking, professional development, and training. You can find out more about us on NonprofitUtopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often. And today's hashtags are Nonprofit Utopia, Economic Opportunity Challenge, and Lever for Change. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofitutopia. The chat room is open and you can post comments and questions right now. You can also email me questions at Valerie F. Leonard at nonprofitutopia.com. For obvious reasons, I won't be able to email you immediately, but after the show, I will contact you just as soon as I can. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about 250. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. We encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the nonprofit Utopia community. We've included a link to our mailing list in the comment section. Having launched its first 100 and Change competition in 2016, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation has announced the launch of a second round through which a grant of $100 million will be awarded to help address one of the world's critical social challenges. Building on the momentum from the inaugural 100 and Change competition, MacArthur launched Lever for Change, A new nonprofit committed to helping donors put more of their resources to work to accelerate social change. In so doing, they are partnering with a number of foundations and ultra high net worth individuals around the United States and abroad to sponsor competitions that serve as catalysts for sustainable social change in a number of areas. And these include, but are not limited to, securing durable futures for refugees. Increasing Women's Power and Influence, Reducing Emissions in the United States, and Finding Global Climate Solutions, and other climate competitions, and those are actually two climate competitions launching in 2020. Other competitions include Improving the Lives of Texans in the Areas of Health, the Environment, and Workforce Development. We're here today to discuss the $10 million Economic Opportunity Challenge, which launched on October 15th, and we're speaking with Cecilia Conrad. Cecilia is the CEO of Lover for Change, and she's also the Managing Director of the MacArthur Fellows and the 100 in Change at the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. So, Cecilia, I want to thank you very much for being with us again today. We are so honored to have you on the show, and we were also deeply honored to have you and Cindy Mollis from the Pritzker Talbert Foundation back in July, where you talked about the 100 and change, as well as the Chicago Prize. And before we get into the meat of our show today, can you give us an overview of those programs and share a brief
1: update of where you are in those processes? Yes, certainly. Thank you, Valerie, for having me on again. Uh, the Chicago Prize that we talked about earlier this year uh, has finished its judging process, and the Pritzker Trowward Foundation will be announcing finalists In December, I believe it's a December 11th event. Um, Wow! So that is almost we're you know sort of on pins and needles now as we wait for that announcement. (laughs) 100 and Change, which was MacArthur's a competition for a single 100 million dollar grant to make progress on a compelling and critical issue of our time. We have gone through the first two stages of review—a review process mm-hmm. that where the applicants reviewed each other, and then we had our Whitehead panel review. We're wrapping up the—we've wrapped up the Whitehead panel review, and we'll be moving next to technical reviews for the top-scoring proposals from the Whitehead panel. There'll be some additional announcements coming out of 100 and change uh, early in the new year. Okay, great.
0: So the first time you were on the show, you gave us an update as to what was going on with the first round winners for 100 and Change. Are there any further updates? And even if you had to repeat what you said before, I think All that right. would be great.
1: Well, it's it's very, very exciting. I'm not sure how many of your listeners uh, saw the 60 Minutes episode uh, last uh, Sunday before last now. So it was two Sundays ago. That focused on mm-hmm. the Sesame Workshop International Rescue Committee collaboration uh, to to provide an early childhood intervention for children in the Syrian refugee region. Uh, it was a very moving moving segment that had interviews from inside of uh, refugee camps uh, in Jordan. That project has is about to launch the media component. So it's a multi component project. It has a oh, wow. curriculum development home health visits to help uh, parents figure out how to help their children deal with the trauma of displacement, but there's also going to be a television program that is geared around not only supporting the children who have been displaced, but also helping the children in the communities in which they're living have some empathy for that experience.
2: They have
1: three new characters, three new Muppets have been created based (laughs) on local consultations, with child development experts, with artists, with cultural experts in the region so that the Muppets will have some resonance uh, with the children there. So it's very exciting. It's it's moved along along quite rapidly. The show is going to be called Ahilan Simpson, which means welcome sesame in Arabic. Oh, great, great. Uh, We also, as you recall, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. We gave out some grants okay. to uh, two of the uh, to the other finalists, and we're excited about the mm-hmm. progress in those. One of them was a collaboration between Catholic Relief Services, Lumos, and Maestral that was focused on shifting the way we care uh, for children away from mm-hmm. orphanages towards more family-based care. And USAID uh, has kind of taken on that project and has formed what's called a Global Devo- Development Alliance which forms a kind of umbrella for other funders to come in and help support it. And I believe that they're at over $30 million uh, in support at the moment. And then we have uh, a, the, let's see, Rice University, University of Malawi. That's a project to introduce technologies to help premature babies survive in low-resource settings. Mm-hmm. And that project also has attracted other funders, indeed, one of the exciting things about the first 100 and change is that among both the finalists and also other highly ranked projects, projects are in what we call the top 200, we've raised an additional $319 million. This is beyond what MacArthur wow. put into the program. Wow. So Talk about concepts, leverage. Yeah. It's really exciting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, Great. So your most recent competition is the $10 million Economic Opportunity Challenge, and that launched back in October, actually, last month. So what exactly is the Economic Opportunity
1: Challenge? The Economic Opportunity Challenge is a challenge that is looking for strategies, projects that will remove some of the impediments to economic mobility in the United States. So it's focused mm-hmm. on the U.S. It is open to any kind of strategy impediment. So it could be something that's focused on housing. It could be something that's focused on the labor market. It could be place-based. It could be something that's more focused on macro strategies, economic strategies. It is a, a fairly open competition. It is. Mm-hmm. It launched on October 15th. The registration deadline, and like our other competitions, you have to register before you can complete. The registration deadline Mm -hmm. is January 28th, and applications are due February 18th. Okay, great. So what I love
0: about your competitions is the fact that they're evidence-based, they're also transparent, and they expand the capacity of the contestants. So regardless of whether contestants get the award, they still win, in my opinion, just for going through the process. So what was the evidence or the background that led to the Lever for Change working for
1: an anonymous donor to launch the Economic Opportunity Challenge? You know, it's one of the things that we learned from our first 100 in Change. And to be honest, when we... When we started 100 and Change, the MacArthur Foundation was primarily interested in finding a grantee for itself. We we didn't really mm-hmm. recognize the leverage potential initially. It quickly came to the fore as we had calls from donors who wanted to know if we would share the projects that we received. We also recognized mm-hmm. that it was rare for organizations to really have the opportunity to think at the scale that we were asking for when we designed 100 and change and that they could use some mm-hmm. support doing that. So in the first 100 and change, our top applicants, um, well, let me just start. Actually, every applicant got feedback from the panel of Whitehead judges on their applications. Our highest ranking applicants got additional resources from MacArthur to help them build really robust plans for scaling. And we've heard from mm-hmm. donors that they saw that the end from the organizations that this, these investments helped to strengthen their work. After the first 100 and change, we actually for uh, over the course of a year offered additional webinars to all of the applicants who had participated the first round that targeted specific issues, like how do you, what is the theory of change and, and how do you describe one? How do you make a pitch? All sorts of things that we thought might be helpful for the organizations. So, from that, we took a few lessons, and they have translated into Lever for Change. One is that it's possible to engage donors who may currently be sitting on the sidelines, who may currently really Mm -hmm. want to make large grants for social change, but either they're risk averse or they don't have a lot of information. And what I've heard from donors is it's just overwhelming to know how to begin. So, we thought we had an opportunity to help them begin through customized Mm -hmm. competitions for those donors. And by doing, and with the customized competitions, also adhering to our values of transparency and openness and value add for all the participants. So that's what led us to do this. And uh, the cu- the client who is sponsoring the Economic Opportunity Challenge, in some ways is a, is a great example of the kind of donor we may be able to help. They are brand new uh, to philanthropy. They're just starting a family foundation. And mm-hmm. they are, so they're seeing this as an opportunity not only to find an organization or a project or a team to whom they will give this first 100 million. I'm sorry, they're not giving $100 million, It's $10, $10 million <laughs> grant. But they also recognize that we're going to uncover far more ideas than their one grant will fund. They hope that the, these ideas, they will – contact other people in their network to engage them in looking at the projects so they also have a hope of bringing in other funders and they see this landscape that will emerge from the competition as providing the foundation or the ground the basis for future grant making that they will make as their family foundation grows and evolves okay great
0: were there any specific issues that they looked at you know before Working with you to help craft this latest competition.
1: No, I'd say they, they were they were interesting because they knew they wanted to do something on economic opportunity, and I think their initial mm-hmm. decision whether it was whether they were going to focus on the U.S. or or something okay. more global. The okay. the decision to focus the U.S. I think was pragmatic. Um, They recognized that as open as they wanted to be in terms of the types of strategies that organizations might propose, Mm -hmm. that they could be overwhelmed if they went global in terms of the number of applications they might (laughs) receive. Mm -hmm. So what criteria are they going to be using
0: to select the final award recipient?
1: So they have identified four criteria. And the first one is magnitude of impact. Uh, there they uh, want something that's going to have an impact on economic opportunity that extends to a, a pretty large population that has some longevity so you know there are interventions that are wonderful because you might have one or two students who emerge from an intervention or a program and do well and go on to college and and it, and we can celebrate that But they're looking for more. They're looking for more than a modest (laughs) improvement uh, for the targeted population, and they want to look something that really removes barriers, not just helps you to figure out a way around them. So that's the first idea, the magnitude of impact. The second is strength of evidence. They are looking for projects that have already shown in some context with some population that this particular strategy can work. I, mm-hmm. One of the sweet spots might be a project where you've shown it works one place, but in order to really persuade policymakers that this should be adopted more broadly, you have to show that it works in other, other populations or other localities or mm-hmm. geographies. So this, a, a project like that would be the, some, something that a $10 million grant could really help it gain traction. They're not looking for completely new ideas that have never been tested anywhere. There needs to be some evidence, uh, preferably strong evidence, that this practice, that this strategy can work. The third Mm -hmm. is potential for scale. No, I'm sorry, likelihood of success. I'll get back to potential for scale. Likelihood of success. And this is looking at feasibility. Mm -hmm. And feasibility can have a couple components. One is, do you actually have the team in place to successfully implement the strategy you're proposing? Do you have the right skill mm-hmm. sets on that team? And recognize that these competitions are open to single organizations or to teams. This one is not open to individuals. And I should add that this competition is also not open to uh, colleges and universities, unless the college and university is a partner with an organization that is is a nonprofit outside of the college and university sphere. But they're looking Mm -hmm. for a set of skills on the team that show that they have the experience to implement. They're also looking at whether there's evidence in the proposal that the team has anticipated what obstacles they may encounter and how they're going to address them. So it is a a kind of holistic view of feasibility. All the things that that might go wrong, have you thought about them, and do you have a plan or strategy for how you will solve them? Then we have potential for scale. And as I mentioned earlier, I think one of the things they imagine is that there are projects that have been tried at a very small scale and have shown success, evidence of work, that this grant Mm -hmm. will give that project an opportunity to demonstrate that it can work at a slightly larger scale but they also want in place a plan or a notion that you can take this strategy and expand it to apply to the entire population of the U.S., if need be, depending on the context. So they want something that has the real potential that it's not just a one-off, that it happened here and it worked here and it won't happen to any place, work anyplace else. They want to know that it can serve as a model, something that could be adopted by other communities or as a model that could be incorporated into public policy.
0: Okay, and what I'd like also is you're very transparent. I think anyone who passes muster to go to the next level of actually going through the application process, they'll be able to see a scoring rubric, so there are no real surprises as to what you're looking at, and everybody is on equal footing,
1: can you walk us through the scoring rubric? Uh, Yes. So I've just talked about the four criteria, and I would encourage people to go to the website for the competition. It's called economicopportunitychallenge.org. And if you go Mm -hmm. through the menu, you'll see something called the scoring process. And in that scoring process, you can look at the scoring rubric. You'll see each one of the criteria. So let's start with magnitude of impact. There is Mm -hmm. a scale that tells you what is a one, what's a two, what's a three, what's a four, all the way to five. At the low end, Mm we have the word marginal, marginal impact. At the high end is a five, a transformative impact. That means that it's a deep, powerful, game-changing strategy to change lives and have long-term impact, that it permanently removes or remediates key barriers to economic opportunity. That's what's required to get a five. If you look more in the middle of the scale, say two points, it's modest improvement for targeted location or population, removes some barriers Mm -hmm. to economic opportunity, but leaves key barriers in place, so kind of an incomplete solution, if you will. Uh, Each one of the criteria has the scale in place on the website. Um, I'll just give you another example. Let's look at likelihood for success. Highly likely likely, says, team Mm -hmm. comprised of seasoned experts who lead successful efforts in this sector, well positioned to surpass expectations with an evidence-based approach designed to overcome challenges. At the other end of the scale, I'm sorry, I just lost my place, <laughs> at the other oh, end of this, say at zero points, fails to offer an experienced team with the ability to deliver the approach to scale, has an unrealistic understanding of challenges, and or underestimates effort required for success. So each team can go and you can look at the scoring rubric, you can move the little, there's a scale button you can move around to test out of what each one of those scores, how it translates into the scoring uh, criteria. The other thing that we have on the site that I'll call attention to is that we have, and this will be a feature of every every Lever for Change competition, we have something called the Organizational Readiness Tool. And it Mm -hmm. actually is a way to assess whether the project that you're working on and the team that you've put together meets the basic criteria for the competition. You can take this tool and and take the survey as many times as you want to kind of get a sense of what's required and what's expected. That's
0: great. So it sounds to me like even if you don't win, you're still at every point in this process building organizational capacity. So it's not a waste of time, you know, even though at every level you're kind of weeding people out, but As you go through, you're still learning more about your organization
1: and how you can improve your capacity. So I I love this design. Well, we've had applicants from the first 100 and Change tell us that they took the feedback that they received from our judges and revised Mm -hmm. their applications. And in some cases, were able to get funding from funders who had funded them in the past but had never recognized that there was an opportunity to do something bigger, to, to take the project to the next level. And they were also successful in getting funding from other funders, from Cincinnati applications to other places and other foundations. the We've created the tool to really help organizations assess, because it isn't a trivial application. It's going to take some work mm-hmm. to finish. So we wanted to make sure that people – were eyes wide open about their likelihood of success in the competition, and that's why we created the tool.
0: Okay, great. So going back to the notion of evidence-based, you know, evidence-based can mean a lot of different things to different people, and I think you kind of started on the, the road to explaining what you meant, but just for the purposes of this podcast and for this contest, What exactly do you mean when you say you're prioritizing evidence-based solutions?
1: Yes, that's really important because people do have different notions of what evidence might be. And um, I'm going to just kind of talk about different levels of evidence. You may have Mm -hmm. developed something and you have, in a kind of informal way, periodically sought feedback from your client's or from the people you've worked with, or from your neighbors. Uh, In the first 100 and change, I had someone who said that they knew their project worked because all their friends told them that it did. That is the weakest form of evidence. It it, it is encouraging, (laughs) and it's important, because if your friends tell you it's not working, you really do need to change course, but we're looking for something more rigorous than that. A second level Mm -hmm. is that perhaps you've done sort of subjective opinion surveys. And depending on the project, it it may be that the opinion surveys are are really relevant. If it's some sort of customer service, you wanna know that customers would come back. But that you haven't actually tried to directly collect any measures of outcome or impact. So you've Mm -hmm. asked people, are you happy but you haven't asked, uh, were you successful in, in, in improving your, your performance at work or were you, did you get your salary increased or all the different metrics one might look at depending on the solution that you're thinking of. So that's a, a sort of next level. Uh, it, it, it's, we want mm-hmm. something more than that, other than that. The, the next stage is to actually try to do real metrics some define some really specific outcome measures And an even higher step would be to have an external evaluator uh, regularly collect metrics for you and do an external assessment of your project. And an external assessment can come in different levels. Uh, There is the idea of doing some sort of statistical analysis. Did your participants in your project perform better than, on average, people who weren't part of your project? or you can take it even a step further and have what's called a randomized control trial where you have people who were able to participate in your intervention and another group of people who were randomly selected not to participate in your intervention and you've compared those two groups. Uh, There are various other kinds of experimental designs. So in terms of evidence here, I don't think you have to have something as rigorous as a randomized control trial but you should have something beyond the simple opinion survey. Mm-hmm. And so in picking great. up on that. If you look at our, our assessment tool, I'll just point to the ways that they think about this. Uh, has there been an external assessment of impact? Has there mm-hmm. been at least one external evaluation of outcomes? Have you conducted internal evaluations? Uh, And do you formally collect and document qualitative and quantitative feedback? So those are all different ways that at least one of those methods should be part of what you've done in order to be really competitive in this process.
0: Okay, great. So I want to remind you that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Cecilia Conrad, Cecilia is the CEO of Lever for Change and the Managing Director of the MacArthur Fellows and 100 and Change at the MacArthur Foundation. We'll be taking questions from our listening audience and chat room at about 2.50. And when I say 2.50, that's Central Standard Time. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. So, Cecilia, What if organizations meet your qualifications to apply, but they've not yet gone through a rigorous scientific or
1: quasi-scientific evaluation process? Should they not apply? If your organization has been systematically collecting data on outcomes and impact, and even if that's heretofore been primarily internal, I think you should still look carefully at some of the other things we're looking for in the process and consider applying. Uh, the, the level of evidence here, as I said earlier, there is some expectation that one of the things this grant might do is to help an organization who has shown evidence of success really make that evidence uh, stronger and more robust and something that can persuade communities or policymakers to adopt the project.
0: Okay, so they don't necessarily have to have a scientific process in place as long as they show evidence that the interventions that they're using have actually impacted the lives of their clients and communities. That's correct.
1: Uh, It's not necessary to have a randomized control trial. Okay. (laughs) All right, good, good,
0: good. I'm sure a lot of people have breathed (laughs) a big sigh of relief (laughs) at that point.
1: There are funders who insist on that, Um, and so, you know, one of the ways of thinking about this competition is that if you can build that into what you propose, it may make you competitive for even larger grants from other funders. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So
0: after you go through the assessment process, the next step is to actually
1: register to participate in the competition. So what does that entail? Well, registration itself, and as I said, the deadline for registering is January 28th. I'll remember to repeat that again at the end. You have to register before you can apply. And registration is really a two-step process. There's sort of a a quick first form where you provide who's going to be the lead communicator, the principal investigator on the project, their information, and, and sign them in. And then you'll have a longer form to fill out that gives some more, that asks you to answer some more questions about the geography of your work, about uh, the nature of the project to identify a thematic area and so forth. The, one of the great things about registering is that you will then have access to a forum. And a forum is a place where you can post questions, where you can actually communicate with other participants in the process. One possibility, we've seen this happen on a, at least a forum in the Chicago Prize, where one team wanted to work with partners, but wanted to identify some organizations that might want to work with them, and so they posted on the forum, and they were able to mm-hmm. find collaborators that they worked with when they ultimately selected the application. So even if you're not sure if you're going to apply, it can be worthwhile to register because you may find some organizations you want to partner with. Mm-hmm. So after
0: you register and then you complete the application, what kinds of information are you looking for for applicants to provide?
1: Well, the so the registration process, and I should just repeat that you go to the website to do that economic opportunity, mm-hmm. economic opportunity challenge dot org. The you can begin to work on your application. The mm-hmm. there's Each question has a different level of word count. I suggest, and you can look at the application right away. You don't have to register to see the full application. You may want to, you can download it and take a look and print at it. You can't fill fill it in offline. You have to fill it in through the portal online. But it is each question, I think organizations should spend some time thinking about how they want to answer it and recognize that the application is going to be read holistically So one of the Mm -hmm. other things that I've seen in these competitions is sometimes organizations repeat the same information in multiple places, and there's no real advantage Mm -hmm. to do that. So so the application is going to constrain how much you can say, so you want to think carefully about everything you want to say and how to fit it into those questions so that all of the information will be in front of the judges when they read it. So you will be asked to ask or answer a question that um, first you'll be asked to provide a short description of your project, kind of what I call the elevator pitch. You'll then have mm-hmm. to describe the barrier to economic opportunity that you hope to uh, to address. It's really a description of the problem. You have to talk about what your solution is. And your conversation about the solution should be very specific about what it is precisely that you intend to do. Uh, You will also have to do a 90-second video. And the application talks a little bit about the video. You want it to present your organization and team, quickly describe the problem you're solving, what your solution is, how your solution is unique or special, and how you plan to measure your success or achieve impact. You can see 90-second videos from other uh, competitions. If you want to find Chicago Prize, you can search in YouTube for Chicago Prize. Uh, The 100 and Change videos are also public on YouTube, so you can get an idea of the kinds of different ways people have Mm -hmm. done the video requirement. There will be a question that asks you to talk about your team and why your team is particularly well-suited to implementing this solution and to making this project work. That will inc- talk both about your specific team of your organization, but also about who your collaborators are and why you're collaborating with each other. You will be asked to um, – I've already talked about describing what the, who the, what the barriers are and, and why they're important and who's impacted by them. You give a details about your specific solution – You will also be asked to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion and how you have taken into account in the design of your project and how you plan to implement your work, how you will include and impact historically marginalized populations, and also persons with disability. How have you thought about inclusion of Mm -hmm. all populations who might benefit from your proposed solution? Then you have to talk wow. about what your earnest is, right? Because, yeah, it's not a short, you should really be committed to this. You're going to address yes. questions on evidence, on how you will, what the ability to scale, on what your timeline is, and then probably the mm-hmm. other big aspect is your budget. Um, you'll need a narrative mm-hmm. of your budget, and then you'll be asked to explain how, what your budget is, what kind of, of what your plans are, how you plan to spend this $10 million grant a question for you, and actually there are two questions to this.
0: The first thing is: is there a section where you're asking people how they're going to evaluate their process, or is that something that MacArthur and Lever for Change are going to be doing um, corporately for you know for all of the applicants and and the winners? And then the second thing is: is there any one part or one section of the application that may weigh more heavily than others?
1: So I'm going to take your second question first, and the short answer is no. (laughs) Uh, It is the (laughs) judges will read the application holistically, and they will Mm -hmm. use the scoring rubric based on all of the information that's in the application. So they don't just look at the evidence question to assess your evidence. So you should, should, should... Um, make sure that you have evidence and talk about it there, but if there's evidence being discussed someplace else, the judge will read it and see it. The uh, the question now about measurement and impact and monitoring evaluation uh, part of this. There is a question that asks you to talk about what milestones you've identified for your project, what do you expect to have accomplished, what outcomes should we be able to see at the end of the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year, the fifth year. I'm not sure we pointed out, but it's a five-year grant, <laughs> and <laughs> it will ask you to talk about how will you know if you are successful, and what kinds of of pieces of information will you be tracking, what metrics, over the length over the history of the grant program. In your budget, um, you have to include the cost of having an external independent. Partner who will be charged with evaluating your results what we call a a monitoring evaluation and learning partner And that will be something that you will have to if you get through the first phase of the competition You'll have to to talk document in a much fuller manner in a real full-scale monitoring evaluation and learning plan uh, As a finalist before you would be considered for the grant Mm -hmm. Great
0: so all applicants are subject to an administrative review. So what's the difference between that and scoring the application, and what, what does that entail?
1: Yes. So the, the when you look on the website, you'll see that there are some rules about who's eligible, who's not. Uh, there's the expectations of a certain level of evidence. Uh, so, for example, one of the eligibility requirements is that your organizational budget has to be greater than a million, um, and, and that those in the administrative review process, we are going through to check and see, does the applicant meet the basic requirements for the competition? So, we will rule out applications that are from individuals. We'll rule out applications from organizations that don't meet the size requirements we will rule out app um i'm trying to remember some of the others we'll rule out applications that are from colleges and universities as the lead and so forth so mm-hmm. you want to pay attention to the eligibility requirements because if you apply and you're not eligible you will be ruled we weed it out through the administrative review okay and that includes also incomplete responses or incomplete well, applications in fact- Right. If you don't answer every question, you can't submit your application. It just won't let you turn it in. But that does mean that you could put in – I mean, I guess in theory you could put gibberish in. You could just put, you know, my – what's that thing we used to do for typing? My yellow fox just jumped over the brown dog. <laughs> remember that? Uh, or am I the only one yes, who's old enough do. to piping class? <laughs> I
2: remember.
1: <laughs> so if you did that, yes, you won't get through administrative review. We'll see that and recognize <laughs> it's not a serious application.
0: <laughs> we laugh, but I'm sure you see this from time to
1: time. Oh, we have seen some, some interesting, uh, but, you know, it, it's, what is, what is wonderful about participating and reading these applications is that the overwhelming majority of them are serious ideas, meaningful ideas about how to make the world a better place. And sometimes they may need more evidence. Sometimes they may need a bigger team or a stronger team. But in, it's inspiring to know that there are so many people out there thinking about how they can improve the world or actively working to improve things and to mm-hmm. solve problems. We, I think in the first 100 and change, maybe there were two applications that were just kind of silly <laughs> uh, in terms mm-hmm. of, of, of what they did. Uh, and that was out of 1900. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, well, that's
0: good. So you you clearly have set the tone just you know, and all the communications about the process. So I'm sure that helps you on the back end as well.
1: We try to do that, and I, I think the idea that, in fact, we we collect the proposals that come in through our process, and the proposal summaries mm-hmm. live on in a solutions bank that uh, the Candid, formerly the Foundation Center, has. So you can go and look at things that were submitted in the first 100 and change, if you want. And we aspire to have a similar kind of archive of projects from other competitions available. So So people know that this is serious, that this will live on beyond their particular application.
0: Okay, so after the applications go through the administrative review and assuming that they pass muster, they'll be reviewed by an evaluation panel. So who is this evaluation panel, and how will they
1: evaluate applications? So the evaluation panel will receive your full application. Each application Mm -hmm. will be read by five evaluators, and we have assembled a panel of people with deep expertise on questions of economic mobility and economic opportunity, If you go to that website, economicopportunitychallenge.org, you can actually see uh, and read the bios of the judges who've been recruited to the panel thus far. We we update this information about once a week. Uh, I think probably we won't do it on Thanksgiving Day, but the next Thursday it'll be updated (laughs) again. You'll see that it's a diverse panel with people drawn from uh, academia, from the private sector, from foundations, from organizations that are active in this space. Uh, it's a, I'm pretty proud of the group of people we've assembled so far. Each one of them will be randomly assigned a five a, a group of applications. I think we've told them 5 to 6. It, it the number that each judge judges, each judge reads could vary. They mm-hmm. read each application, watch your video, uh, Roughly, they're gonna spend 45 minutes to an hour specifically on your application, and the stronger the application they tell me, the longer the time they end up spending reading and, and thinking about comments. They are dedicated to providing constructive feedback so they're not only scoring and giving MacArthur information, but they're also committed to trying to provide information to the organizations to, to, who submitted about what additional information might have been helpful, about what questions they still have about the project. Sometimes they'll write notes about other organizations you should know about. Sometimes they'll write notes about other funders you should think about. So they try to be as helpful mm-hmm. as possible in those comments. Once the scoring process has finished, Uh, We Mm -hmm. apply a normalization routine. Now, this is because, as we all know, we all have different kinds of tendencies. Some of us are hard graders. Some of us are easier graders. Some of us, you know, have a meal, and every meal we eat we think is a 10, and others, you know, have not not had a meal in a long time that they would give a 5 to. So you want to make sure that that the applicant isn't penalized because they get, by the luck of the draw, a group of tough scores or easy scores. So there is a normalization process that's applied to all of the scores on every one of the traits so that a judge that is a tough scorer, those scores will get inflated slightly, and a judge that's an easy score, those judges, those scores will get deflated. And that way we've even the playing field across the applicants. We will take That's those phenomenal. normalized scores and rank the applicants in by rank order, and mm-hmm. the top group, and I'm saying top and being deliberately vague here because it's going to depend mm-hmm. a lot on, on what gets submitted, but the a selection panel that consists of the donors and with the help of our staff from Lever for Change uh, will potentially be asking for additional information in a second stage. So for example, if you've proposed a collaboration, we might ask at this point to see real documentation of the collaboration in the form of a signed memorandum of understanding. There would be a question potentially at that point for more detailed information about the financials and other kinds of questions. And from there, the donors and their so they'll be forming us, so they plan to have a selection committee, so it, it just won't be the members of this family. We'll uh, select a set of finalists, and those finalists will then mm-hmm. receive support from us. As I described earlier, the kind of how do you build mm-hmm. a really robust plan? What are the questions you still need to answer in order to be persuasive to the selection committee? They will have a chance to revise their proposals, and then the selection committee will make a decision about who gets the ten million dollar grant.
0: Okay. So, will you actually have semifinalists, or you're just going to go from
1: go straight to the finalists? Yes. This time, we will be going straight to finalists. Uh, we we had semifinalists in the first 100 and change, and mm-hmm. we realized that. That was complicating. It kind of produced another level of down selection. And and we have been really careful to communicate to people that not getting our $100 million grant is not necessarily a stigma. Uh, We only had one. Mm -hmm. We had many, many good proposals. But we think it would be easier and and more valuable in terms of communicating to the public to just go directly to a group of finalists.
0: Okay, great. So I'm assuming that this process, just like every other competition of which you're a part, um, the applicants, after everything is said and done, will have a chance to see their scores so that they can use it, you know, to shore up their capacity in other areas and other venues.
1: Is that true? That's right. They will get their scores and the judge's comments. They won't know who -hmm. who judged their proposal. Uh, We've shown you the panel of judges, but they'll be randomly assigned and and we don't reveal to you which ones read your projects. Uh, But you will get their comments and their feedback on your project. Okay, and when will the finalists be notified? Uh, Hold on just a second, I need to just check that. It seems so far off in the future. Uh, I have Mm -hmm. a timeline. And I'll also point out that on the website there is a timeline of the entire process, and and there's always a little reminder at the top if you are uh, participating about when things are due. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. But just a moment, and I will get you the timeline for the announcement of the finalists. So our plan is for the is to be announced sometime June 2020. Okay. That would probably be the latest. It might be a little earlier, but around that time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned, they'll then have work assistance with proposal strengthening. They will have an opportunity to revise their application. And the mm-hmm. expectation is that the grant recipient will be selected late 2020 in November. Wow, this is a very rigorous process. It is. It's not fast. It's not for the faint of heart. But we try to have mm-hmm. to create value added for participants. One of the other things mm-hmm. we've heard from applicants in the in prior competitions is that this is an unusual opportunity in the nonprofit sector, in that. The donor has not predetermined what, sort of, what they think the solution to a problem is, what sort of strategy mm-hmm. you need to pursue, and then gone out to find organizations who are already doing that and funding them. know that's the way a lot of philanthropy works is that there is a, a, a strategy developed by a program, and the program then invites applications from the organizations that they have preselected. In this case, we are open to any organization, and we are asking the organization to tell us, what would you do to remove this barrier to economic opportunity or to solve this problem, and how would you do it? So there's a lot of, of control for the organization and for some, or the team, and for some, it can almost be like a strategic planning process. So we've heard from organizations mm-hmm. that just the exercise of really sitting down and thinking, if we had access to a big grant that was multi-year so we don't have to go out every year and look for new funding sources, what could we do? So I think there's value in that itself. I've even had organizations tell me that they, in the end, decided not to apply, but that the process of, mm-hmm. of thinking about that had been really helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're winding down, and from everything that I've heard, it sounds like this is a very valuable process. One, it can help organizations really think through um, developing evidence-based solutions. It can help them with the strategic planning um, you have created or you're continuing to add to your knowledge base, and these applications will even add further, and you're also building community So after all is said and done with the competition, awards have been made, and projects have been implemented,
1: what's next? Ah, so what's next? So we make the award, and let's just assume for now that the donor is the only donor who decides to fund a finalist. So we have one award. We have other finalists, Mm -hmm. and these other finalists are, are I'm guessing, I'm expecting – will have terrific projects, terrific ideas. We would have invested time in providing technical uh, support so that those projects are, are just incredibly strong. Our job is to make the donor's decision really hard. We are collecting the other projects into what we're calling the Bold Solutions Network. And so the first group of projects that go into there will be some of the top scoring projects from 100 and Change, from every one of our competitions, we will be collecting the top projects into the Bold Solutions Network. And we are using that Bold Solutions Network uh, in, to help other donors. So donors will come to us and say, I am really interested in what we could do in terms of a summer enrichment program or early childhood program or some of of I'm just guessing at various topics that we may see represented in the pool or to reduce homelessness, what, do you, what have you already found that you've vetted that's gone through this very rigorous process that we could just step up and decide to fund right now? And some people may think that's unlikely, but I'll point out that the Sesame International Rescue Committee uh, that we had a match a year later, another foundation gave them a second $100 million dollars almost completely wow. on the strength of the fact that they had been vetted through a 100 and change. So we think there's real prospects here and we already have donors who've expressed an interest in seeing the projects that we uncover. So we hope to use this as a resource for the philanthropic community to aid donors who currently are sitting on the sidelines to actually disperse and make the kinds of grants that they're capable of making. The other part of this is though that once you're in our Bold Solutions Network, there will be ongoing supports uh, for the organizations to help them address what they may see as weaknesses for themselves. It might be a communication strategy support. It may be, how do we do development? How do we go out and raise funds in a, in a robust way when we're very small and can't afford a full-time staff? All those sorts of things are uh, resources that we hope to offer to the top scoring applicants in our competitions, including in the Economic Opportunity Challenge.
0: Okay, so we're winding down even further, and this is the last question. Last question. Will there be any sessions for further information or technical assistance prior to the application deadline?
1: Yes, there will be webinars for potential applicants. So this is another good reason to register, because if you register, then you'll get a notification of when these webinars are. They're information webinars. You can ask questions. Um, I will be on it. The people from the organization who manages the technical aspects of the competition, the portal, can answer questions and so forth. Then um, there's usually... a webinar for registration and then a webinar before the application is actually due. So we try to provide as much support as possible. Through that, in addition, there's a a questions place. that's questions at Mm economicopportunitychallenge.org that you can submit questions to and get them answered. (laughs) Okay,
0: great. Uh, We're going to open it up for questions from our audience right now. We have Ooh, about six minutes or less. I don't necessarily see anybody in the chat room or anyone who has called, but just in case you are suddenly inspired to ask a question, please feel free to post in the chat room. You can call in at 347 884 8121. If you don't feel inspired to do so while we're on the podcast, please. Please feel free to contact Cecilia Conrad. I'll contact her directly. And, Cecilia, before we go, can you share your contact information?
1: Well, I, I recommend that if people are interested in this competition, the Economic Opportunity Challenge, they should send mm-hmm. questions to questions at economicopportunitychallenge.org. Uh, and then also mm-hmm. recommend that they spend some time on the website. If you're interested in some of the other competitions that we'll have in the future, then you should go to info at leverforchange.org and submit questions mm-hmm. there, and we'll be sure to answer those. And let me remind people, because I said I would repeat that, the deadline for registration mm-hmm. for the $10 million Economic Opportunity Challenge is January 28th. And you have to be registered to submit an application. So it's important, if you're at all interested, to go and register. There's no cost. There's nothing. You know, it's a pretty simple registration process. And then the applications themselves will be due on February 18th. Okay, great. I do see where we have a caller. I'm not sure if this
0: caller has a question or if the caller was just listening. So caller, your number is 773 I'm going to make your mic live, and if you have any questions or comments, could you please share? Okay, it doesn't sound like there are any questions or comments. You know, from time to time, people may call in just so they can hear a bit more clearly. All right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we've come to the end of our show, and I'd like to thank Cecilia Conrad for joining us. Um, just in case you missed the beginning, Cecilia is the CEO of Lover for Change, and she's also the Managing Director of the MacArthur Fellows and 100 and Change at the MacArthur Foundation. And Cecilia, I, I know you shared some parting thoughts, but do you have anything else you'd like to say before we sign off?
1: I would like to encourage people who um, have great ideas to think about joining us in any of these competitions, or if you uh, have money, you would like to have some help finding really great grantees, please join us. The lever for change, as we said at the outset, is supporting and managing and hosting more competitions than just the Economic Opportunity Challenge. We will be rolling out in 2020 six competitions, one each month starting in January. Uh, The first one is on durable futures for refugees. The second is looking at women's power and influence. I'm going to start to get off on my timeline, so I'll just describe the others. There's one focused on the state of Texas and the quality of life for Mm -hmm. residents there. There are two that are climate-related and then there's one that hasn't quite decided what it's going to be. So I encourage you to register at info of, at the Lever for Change website, which is www.leverforchange.org, and that way you'll be on our mailing list to receive information.
0: Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. All right. Bye bye. And I'd like to thank everyone in our listening audience for listening to today's Nonprofit Utopia podcast episode. We've included links to resources in the comment section, and I encourage you to go to iTunes and leave a review. We've included instructions in the comment section to guide you through the process, and be sure to join us next week. We're going to have a really lively conversation with Daniel Epstein. He's the candidate, well, he is a candidate for the Illinois Supreme Court And we'll talk about the roles and responsibilities of the Illinois Supreme Court and strategies for improving fairness in sentencing as well as restorative justice. So until next week, um, yes, until next week, we will see you later. Um, It looks like we've Cecilia, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay, it looks like we have two callers, and I've not asked – Either one, if they were willing to ask a question. Do you have time? If they have questions.
1: Yes, I, I can spend a couple more minutes.
0: Okay. So,
1: caller, your number is seven
0: seven three seven six six four 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 eight. Do you have any questions?
3: Hello, my name is Leslie oh. He's Good afternoon. Hey, Leslie. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Valerie, I appreciate, so yes. appreciate you facilitating this as well as Cecilia described. I just want to say, Cecilia, thank you so much for de- deliberately laying out everything that you've done here for our communities that have established organizations in terms of taking this time to really set this forth in terms of everything. I really appreciate that. Uh, my name is Leslie. I was formerly a member and a participant in everything. Uh, with nonprofit Utopia, which I am a founding member, and also previously a um, employee with the county government. And we really appreciate what you're doing here, Cecilia. Really, we do. And the way that you've laid it out has been so beneficial, I think, to existing organizations and all. And I want to let you know that I really appreciate that. Uh, and the uh the uh detail that you've done has really been appreciated so that existing organizations can know what it is that needs to be done and I really do appreciate that and thank you so much Valerie for uh, bringing her forth here and I hope that there are those that are in our communities wherever they are will that are existing will uh, actually apply given the fact that they're existing to Come forth and uh, look at how they can um, uh, do this type of regimentation, but nevertheless also get in out of this a reflection of where they are in order to be able to get funding from um, your organization. So i not you know I appreciate it, Cecilia. Very Thank
1: much. you. And please spread the word. Uh, that's something I should have added in my parting comment.
3: Tell other yes, people about yes, this opportunity. I will, yeah. I, I, I will do that because there, there, there are those in the various stages of, of organizational development, and those are at the stage that you're speaking of very well, should hopefully apply to you and then learn from themselves as well. To your application process that your organization provides, and better be able to better retrofit and uh, develop themselves in order to be further applicable and um, be able to be um, in the process of being uh, promotable and everything to be able to apply for. Uh, funds from your organization. So, thank you so much for coming, on. Here. And thank you, Dallas, for bringing her on. Thank you.
2: Okay.
0: Thank you so much for calling. It looks like we have one more caller. Um, okay. This caller okay. did not, yeah, this caller didn't share his or her phone number, but um, caller, um, your phone number is identified as all ones. If you have any yes, questions yes. or
2: comments, yes, yes. I want uh, to let you know why uh, you do not uh, send uh, your people to University of People. University of People is non-profit organization. And mm-hmm. so far they have two uh, institution free and they have four different courses from computer science to different uh, uh, top, uh, you know, hotel and management, for example, etc. And the university of people is situated in United States of America. And they have 24, 25,000 students right now from 200 countries. So if you want, if you want to check it out, it's called University of People, and www.U, like United, O, like OK, P, like Papa, mm-hmm. E, Echo, mm-hmm. O, Orange, P, uh, Papa, Lima, E, Echo, dot E, D, U.
1: I've heard of the University of the People. It, it is an example of a model of an open access education framework. So I think it is, yes. a, you know, it's one of the promising new models that people are really trying to leverage the Internet for. It also is a, a good reminder that when we're thinking about how we can support organizations, that in some cases they may be able to get the skill sets they need to strengthen what they're doing, their work, through open sources like this. So thank you for reminding us of it.
2: Yeah, no problem because, uh, you know, uh, we see in the urban areas in United States, Canada, and many other places around the globe, you know, people need to have free education, access to education. So, you know, it costs $60, and you follow the guidelines and uh, Pretty much you can be a student there, and there is as soon as you start, you can read your um, classes, uh, tuitions, I mean, uh, in, in, uh, books, as soon as you send them the materials that you may need, and so you are ahead of the class. By the yeah. time class starts, it's, it's four or five times um, year they accept applications and the over two hundred uh, countries uh, uh you know um, the head of the uh, universities they give their materials free for the university of people to use it so people can use it and it's online is in your time. You can be in any time zone. You can take the classes, because there are so many classes. So if you can't take it, say, right now, you can take it a, a couple of hours later, or or it will be, you know, available to you uh, in your privacy of your own home. So you can educate yourself and don't wait, you know, uh, you know, for your country to see if what they can do for you, etc. Now it's time what you can do for yourself. The all the information okay. are here. All the requirements are okay. here. I mean so it's up to the people take the action. Okay, thank you
0: so much. We're running a little bit over time. We really, really appreciate your call and Leslie we appreciate your call. As well, if you have any information you'd like to send me, you can. My email address is Valerie F. Leonard at com. We are specifically looking for people who might be interested in applying for this particular contest. Okay, Are you
2: in Utopia right now? Are you in Utopia yourself right, right now?
0: I wish Are I were United in Utopia, but, but we're talking about we're we're talking about the Economic Opportunity Challenge, which is sponsored right. by Lever for Change, and we're educating people about the process and hoping that people will in fact pull together coalitions of organizations <coughs> uh, that have budgets of what is it a million dollars minimum. As well as you know other capabilities, so you can find out more about that opportunity on the lever for change website and you can go to the economic opportunity challenge
2: oh, economic I okay you... but but are you in the United States or are you in Africa or where are you right now
0: we're That's... in the we're in the united states
2: uh, all the good u s a right just kidding
1: okay, thank you thank so you much again. I really appreciate it. yeah, thank time. you very much.
2: God bless right. you all and happy thanksgiving okay. to you in advance and thank we you. love you, and uh, we hope okay. uh, uh you know you may be working with these people too as well, you know, because if you're non profit they're non profit too so yeah, you know yeah. why not? Working with them and okay. uh, the many African uh, nations, people don't know that. Maybe you can educate uh, African nations and, uh, you know, any, any, any country basically. So hopefully they, have, they can have more students. The money mm-hmm. is there for them to study. You know, they can apply okay. as well, soon as they get into the class. Okay.
0: okay. And, uh, Thank you so so much. they don't
2: have worry. Thank you,
0: Thank you very for, much. We're, running, we're running over time. We're about sure, nine sure. minutes. But you can
2: go over time. Over time. For, uh, half yeah, half an hour. Don't worry about it. You can go over okay. time almost half an hour. Yeah, so don't worry about it. If, if, don't get the okay. stress out if you're a little. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay.
0: Please, yeah, please email me though. All right. Oh, yeah.
2: Okay.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thank you. I'm going to sign off, too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.